Special greeting to all of you who are watching this message via the World Wide Web or on one of our campuses or in the South Room or in the Blue Bonnet Room, one of the overflow rooms. We, we issue a great welcome. We're so grateful that you're here and we'd like to invite you now to take your Bibles wherever you are and hold it up in the air. Hold your Bible up in the air and we're going to say the prayer that we always pray as we study in the book of Acts. Are you ready? Dear Lord, thank you for your wonderful acts. What you did then, would you do again? What you did through them, would you do through us? In Jesus' name, amen. Good. I'm glad you're sitting beside me because sometimes I throw up. <laughs> Those aren't exactly the words that you want to hear when you take a seat on an airplane, are they? But those are exactly the words I heard some time ago. I had barely placed my bag in the overhead bin when I sat down and the person sitting next to me said those words. I'm so glad you're sitting next to me because sometimes I throw up. And over the next few minutes, I learned a lot about him. His name was Billy Jack. He was 14 years old. He was on his way home to see his father. He told me about the special school that he attends and the special medication that he has to take. And he said, could you watch over me? Sometimes I get confused. Can you remind me to take my pills? When they brought our sodas, <clears throat> he took his down in one gulp. I sipped on mine, and when he noticed that I still had half of it left, he asked if he could have the rest. <laughs> I gave it to him, and he dipped his pretzels in it. He had a little case of movies. And he asked me if I wanted to watch movies with him. At one point, he was looking out the window, and then he looked back at me, and he said, Do clouds ever fall to the ground? And as I was starting to give him an answer, he looked away like he didn't need an answer. Billy Jack. He was a little boy in a big boy's body. And his most commonly repeated question was, can you watch after me? He asked that question not just of me, but also the airline attendant as she walked past. Every time. Can you watch after me? At one point when I was dozing off, I heard him making noises with his mouth. And he looked at me and he said, I can sound like an ocean. <laughs> he didn't sound like an ocean, but I didn't tell him. <laughs> and then the airline attendant would walk past and he'd say, don't forget to watch after me. Don't forget, watch after me. You know, we don't ask it as often as Billy Jack did. But I think every one of us feel it. I think all of us 
are greatly comforted by the thought, somebody is watching after me. And sometimes when we're afraid, and sometimes when we're passing through a time of transition or difficulty, we wonder, is someone watching after us? Maybe that's the concern that the Apostle Paul had. He needed somebody to watch after him. Yes, the Apostle Paul did. Yes, Paul, the Apostle, the stained glass author of the epistles. Paul, the miracle worker. Paul, the preacher. Paul, the Jack Bauer of the New Testament. <laughs> Paul needed somebody to watch after him. And that may be one reason that Acts chapter 18 is in the Bible. If you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Thank you for opening to the passage. The passage is out of Acts chapter 18. will not appear on the screen because you have them there in your Bible, but the passages that are not in that chapter will. Acts chapter 18 and verse 1 begins with this statement. Then Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Athens is where Paul was last in last week's message when he presented the message on Mars Hill. And now he goes to Corinth. Three words describe Corinth, and they all begin with the letter C. First, Corinth was cosmopolitan. At its zenith, Corinth had nearly 750,000 people. So Paul was not going into a nice little village here. He was walking into a thriving metropolis in the first century. Also, it was commercial. Corinth was located on a narrow isthmus that made it a great point of commerce in the nation of Greece. And it was well populated with salesmen and sailors and travelers and people who were conducting business. But I think even more significantly, Corinth was corrupt. It was a dirty city. As you entered Corinth, there was a billboard that you would pass that said, What happens in Corinth... At one time, the city of Corinth had 10,000 temple prostitutes walking the streets, inviting these salesmen and sailors to worship God by being with one of the prostitutes. For 500 years, the Greek verb korinthiosestai meant to be sexually immoral. If someone called you a Corinthian and you were not from Corinth, you would be insulted because it was a dirty city. It was quite a place. And Paul had to enter Corinth all by himself. You remember that he left his co-workers, Luke and, and Silas and Timothy, uh, back in Macedonia in Philippi, helping the church to get started. And then he journeyed to Athens and stayed there only a short time, and then he continued his journey to Corinth. He made this 50-mile walk from Athens to Corinth all by himself. Can you envision this solitary spokesman for Christ walking the trail 
as he enters the loud and dingy and gritty streets of Corinth. He remembered later how weak he felt the day he entered the city. He said, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. That last line suggests a man who had been through the ringer, and indeed the Apostle Paul had. Let's not forget that over the last few weeks he was stoned with rocks in Lystra, that he was beaten with whips in Philippi, that he was locked in stalks in the prison of Philippi, that he preached in Athens, and though we look at the sermon as a great work of art, only a few people responded to that sermon. There is no evidence of a church beginning in Athens. And now he wanders alone into the streets, the perfume-filled, prostitute-laden streets of Corinth. This old conservative rabbi, remember, walks into the streets of, of Corinth with the message of, of Jesus Christ. And, and apparently he felt overwhelmed at the challenge. He felt overwhelmed at the thought, <clears throat> here he is all alone in this big city, 750,000 people, and he walks in, and where's he going to start? And, and how does he communicate with this very aggressive and evil city? Where does he begin? And if that's not bad enough, apparently he's broke because the very first thing he does is, is get a job. Picking up again in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. <clears throat> they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. And Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. And every Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. I guess he ran out of funds, so Paul became a tent maker. He worked with his hands so he could preach from his heart. And yet when he preached from his heart, the response was cynical and critical. I'm picking up again in verse 4, but I've changed translations on you here. I just want you to hear how it sounds in the translation called the message. But every Sabbath he was at the meeting place doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, good, at least he's got some company now, Paul was able to give all his time to preaching and teaching, doing everything he could to persuade the Jews that Jesus was in fact God's Messiah, but no such luck. All they did was argue contentiously and contradict him at every turn. Totally exasperated, Paul had finally had it with them and gave it up as a bad job. Have it your way, he said. You've made your bed, now lie in it. From now on, I'm spending my time with the other nations. Doesn't sound very inspired, does he? Low on funds, low on friends, Persecuted in some cities, rejected in others, Paul was discouraged. And maybe you are too. 
I'm wondering if these words might be falling upon the ears of a discouraged person. I realize that some of you never get discouraged. Every day is blue. Every song is sweet. Every moment is great. Every hour is packed with energy. But for the other 99.9% .9 of us, we're prone to get discouraged. We have tough days. We have dark days. We have shadowy days. And sometimes it just doesn't feel like there's wind in the sails. Just sometimes it doesn't feel like every time we paddle the boat, it feels like we're paddling upstream. What's that old line? My, my get up and go, got up and went. Sometimes we just, just feel like that. And, and we want to know, how does God respond on days that, that we feel like that? Maybe that's one reason that Acts chapter 18 is in the Bible. Because at the right time, God gave the Apostle Paul a special message. It's in verses 9 and 10, Acts chapter 18. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Do not be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will harm you, because many people here in this city belong to me. Right there in the midst of Paul's discouragement, right there in the middle of the doldrums, God gave Paul a personal message. Wouldn't you love for him to do that for you? I mean, wouldn't you love God to give you a personal message? Who's to say he's not? Right now? Right here? Through a red-headed preacher? Through this story? Who's to say these words in Acts chapter 18 don't serve a dual purpose to touch Paul and to touch you? Would you place the finger on the elevator button of your mind and let the message descend down 18 inches into your heart and let God say to you what he said to Paul? Hear him as he says to you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just don't be afraid. I guess the Apostle Paul had done what we're prone to do, and that is he had opened the door of fear and closed the door of faith. It's easy to do, isn't it? Abraham Lincoln was known for telling the story about the time that he traveled as a circuit lawyer in the state of Illinois. And one time he and a group of other lawyers were traveling through Illinois in a season in which it was very rainy and all the creeks were overflowing their banks. And they had to ford one creek after another. And they knew that these creeks were difficult to cross, but there was a particular river they were really dreading it wasn't on that day's itinerary, maybe not even the next, but eventually they would have to cross a, a river called Fox River. And they were all worried about whether or not they could cross Fox River. Well, that night they stayed at an inn. And while they were staying at the inn, they met another circuit-riding person, only in this occasion it was a circuit-riding pastor, a, Math a Methodist preacher, who had traveled in the same area. And they asked him if he was acquainted with Fox River. And according to the story, the old preacher leaned back, kind of stroked his chin. He said, Fox River. I'm acquainted with it well. 
In fact, here's my rule on Fox River. I never cross it until I get there. Are you crossing any rivers that aren't even here yet? Are you crossing rivers in your mind before you stand on the banks? Are you envisioning problems that you're going to have next week or next month or sometime in your life? Are you writing a check on tomorrow's challenges with today's energy? You know, the wisest man who has ever walked the face of this earth once said, Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow's worries are sufficient for tomorrow. And maybe the reason that you're feeling discouraged is because you're using tomorrow's energy on today's imaginary challenges. No need to do that. God says to you, just don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid. You know, fear is not a requirement, folks. I mean, it's really not. You do have to breathe, yes. Uh, you, you do have to eat, right. You do have to drink water, certainly. But you don't have to be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Faith is always the choice. So God says to discouraged Paul, don't be afraid. And then he says to Paul, now speak. And do not keep silent. In other words, just keep doing your job, Paul. Just keep doing your job. What's job what, what was the job of Paul? He was a teacher. What's your job? Whatever it is, just keep doing it. Just keep doing the next thing. Just speak. Now, you may not feel like you're doing your best. You may not feel like you're bringing your best, but that's not your decision. You know, God doesn't have to have us at our A game, does he? But he does want us to be in the game. He doesn't need our ability, just our availability. Just take the next step. Are you called to serve? Then keep serving. Are you called to forgive? Then just forgive. Are you called to hug those kids? Then you just hug those kids. You do the next right thing and leave the fruit up to God. Speak and do not be silent. Just a few weeks back, I participated in the Martin Luther King rally. I don't know if you're aware that our city hosts one of the greatest Martin Luther King rallies on Martin Luther King holiday in the country to honor that great man. Over 100,000 people marched down a major street in the heart of our city. And when we reached the park, we all took our places seated in the grass or in the bleachers. We were going to listen to some speakers. But my favorite part of that afternoon did not come from a, a speaker or, or a politician. But what I remember most is when the master of ceremony stepped up to the microphone and behind her was a police officer holding in his arms a young boy. And he may have been two or three years of age. I mean a young boy. And she said, could I have everyone's attention? This young boy is somehow separated from his family. Are there any family members who can come for him? Well, boy, everybody was quiet. And we all felt a sigh of relief when somebody said, Oh, I, I know who he is. And she worked her way down to the front and reclaimed the boy. 
And I thought about that master of ceremonies and her assignment. Somebody came up to her and said, could you make this announcement? Apparently, somebody came up to her and said, could you announce that we have a lost boy here? Aren't you glad she didn't think to herself, well, I'm not qualified to make that announcement? Or what if I mess it up? What if I don't conjugate the verbs correctly? Or I haven't rehearsed it? Or surely somebody can do it better than I can? Or let me go home and think about it. She just got up there and got the word out. That's what God is saying to the Apostle Paul. Just, just speak. You're discouraged? Do something. Our tendency when we're discouraged is to retreat and hide. But God says, no, Paul, you're discouraged. Advance. Did you know the best way out of a bad day is to help somebody else out of theirs? I mean, the surest way out of a bad day is to help somebody else out of theirs. And the surest path into the pit of despair is called self-pity. So avoid that. Help somebody else out of theirs and see what happens. That's what God told Paul to do. He said, first of all, don't be afraid. And secondly, speak. Speak. And do not be silent. And then he gives him this reminder. He says, I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Look at the promise in those words. You're not going anywhere, Paul, that I haven't already been. I've already, I'm already working out in those streets. I'm already working in these neighborhoods. I'm already busy in this city. You're not going anywhere that I haven't already been. You know, we're praying a lot these days about our neighborhoods. We're praying a lot these days about the people who share our streets and our cul-de-sacs and our dormitories and our apartment buildings. What this passage teaches us is that God is already there. And you're not going to meet anybody in whose heart he's not already working. He's already there. And as Paul pressed into the city of Corinth, he began to meet people that God had already been touching. And consequently, we have names of Corinthians in our Bible, like Erastus and Gaius and Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus. God was already with Paul working in Corinth. Centuries ago, Hildebert of Lavedon wrote these words. He said, God is over all things. He is within, but not enclosed. He is without, but not excluded. He is above, but not raised up. He is below, but he is not depressed. He is holy above, presiding, holy beneath, sustaining, and holy within, filling. I don't know if we could give each other any greater promise than simply that. God is with you. You are not alone. You may feel alone, but how you feel does not matter. The truth of the matter is, God is with you. Well, as the plane began nosing down for a landing, Billy Jack got all of his stuff ready, and he checked his seatbelt, and he looked over at me, and he said, I'm about to see my daddy. He looks after me. I don't know when your plane is going to come in for a landing. I don't have any inside information. 
But I do know that this journey, does, as we know it, does not last forever. Every single one of us will come to a landing. And as our plane noses and comes to a stop, and we exit and we see our Heavenly Father, <laughs> I really believe that every one of us are going to look back over our life and say, He was watching over me the whole time. Those days I thought I was all by myself, he was, he was with me. Believe that today. Believe that in your future, you have a heavenly Father whose face you will see. And believe that right now, he is with you. And his assignment, his self-given assignment, is to get you home safely. It's not up to you. So don't be afraid. Speak and do not be silent. He has many people in this city. He has many angels and the heavenly hosts. He has his Holy Spirit who watches over you. And he's going to make sure that you get home safe.